You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. Do you think President Nixon was a liberal? President Nixon was a poker player. He would challenge those who had very liberal ideas and um, decide to test them because he felt he had the power to reverse some things if they made the wrong track. Ed Nixon, today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Well, this is Presidential Relatives Week here on Now I've Heard Everything. On Monday, you heard my 1989 interview with Maureen Reagan, the daughter of Ronald Reagan. Today, my conversation with the youngest brother of our 37th president, Richard M. Nixon. My conversation with Ed Nixon. Now, when Ed was born in 1930, his oldest brother, Richard, was already 17. Now, Ed and middle son, Don Nixon, always looked up to their studious and serious big brother, After Richard Nixon's death in 1994, Don and Ed felt an urgency to write the story of their family, the story they thought had never really fully been told. But with Don in failing health himself, the task fell to Ed. And finally, in 2009, Ed published a book called The Nixons, A Family Portrait. And that's when I had the chance to meet him. So here now from 2009, Ed Nixon. Now, you also caution us in this book, anybody who picks your book up thinking, aha, now I'll find the nugget of information that explains everything, that unlocks the whole secret to who Richard Nixon was, they're going to come away a little disappointed. Well, they may find out who Richard Nixon was only if they understand the meaning of family, what the book is about, and what we strive to do is uh, to uh, accentuate the importance of family and the influence of parents, grandparents, heritage, stories that have been handed down. And then uh, the other side of it is what happens when you expose yourself, when one goes out in the world and uh, strives to meet people, not just the leaders, the mayors, the governors, the heads of state, but the people in the street, in the mines, in the in the factories, and get acquainted and see how they think, how they work, what makes them run. Those are the things that developed all of us, especially Richard Nixon, because he was eternally curious and forever asking questions and seldom giving answers, at least to me. He would always ask another question if I tried to ask him one. But it was, um, I think you'll get out of the book the the notion that um, we had a mission, a sense of mission, uh, each of us, and not necessarily in the same field. Um, and I think my grandmother, Almira Milhouse, foremost among the the, uh, the relatives, encouraged us to uh, think globally and um, meet everybody you can and put it all together in understanding of what makes humans do what they do. And of course, for you, that came true in a very literal sense when your brother now ascends into the national political scene, becomes vice president later becomes president, and now you are rubbing elbows with aristocracy and and the leaders of other countries and world leaders who, who are seeking your opinion about things. Well, they do. Um, I'm reluctant to um, to put, a, put my uh, opinion on anybody's mind, especially if they've had more experience than I have, <laughs> but there's uh, and most have. <clears throat> but there is a field that I was interested in, and... Um, Dick encouraged me to pursue it, whatever it was. We were all encouraged to do that. But um, 
it, it emanated from his, uh, his leading me in those early years as an elder brother and really a second father in a way, because he, uh, he tried his best to, um, to interact with me on, on my developing years, read more, study more history, um, grasp it and thoroughly understand it if you can, and then go on and, and, uh, carry out a mission. Whatever you set for yourself, carry it out. Never give up. Well, those ideas <clears throat> came, came through, I guess, in 1939, which is, a, is too much of a story to tell here, perhaps, but, uh, he took me on a trip across country. I had already been across country to Duke University when he finished law school in 1937. And <clears throat> coming back, he, um, had finished his law degree, and um, he and my brother Don shared a car, an old 37 Chevrolet, and Saturday nights became a point of contention after a while because who's going to get the car for the date that night? Well, Dick finally decided, and uh, rightly so, he should have his own car <laughs> and opted to uh, have one delivered at the factory in Lansing, Michigan, Oldsmobile factory, and took me back there on the train. We picked up the car, and... Um, Heading west, he says, we're going on Route 66 here from Chicago on back to L.A. And um, if you can find a stretch of road long enough and straight enough, I might let you sit over here and steer the car. So at that point, I became a permanent map reader. I've read them ever since. All kinds of maps. I love maps. And eventually, as we got into Arizona, I asked him, what's this on the side of Route 66 here called Meteor Crater? Well, I don't know. Let's go see. So quarter of a mile off the road in those days up to the rim of the crater, and that was really a, a, <clears throat> a groundbreaker. I realized then, as I was told by the, the uh, expert on field there, that um, it was pretty much assured now that we have uh, had a, a meteoric impact. Up till then, it wasn't, they weren't sure. But we know now that there have been many impacts, and more will come. Well, that made me very curious when I realized that this huge meteor crater hole in the earth and they couldn't find where it went geologists had searched and all they can find is smaller pieces uh <clears throat> what's wrong with the geologists they, i better become a geologist so then i asked him well where's this where did this thing come from you know we're going to have another inbound here <laughs> and he said no astronomers don't have telescopes strong enough to catch these because they're moving too fast and they're too small well, I knew then I was either going to be an astronomer or a geologist. So wound up with a geology, a couple of geology degrees, and uh, and then went in the Navy, where I washed all the rocks out of my head flying over the ocean. <laughs> anyway, the story goes on, but his influence was profound in me and many other people, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. well, you describe him in the book as maybe a little bit more studious, a little bit more serious, and certainly a bit more responsible than others his age might be. He was one who um, really loved, he fell in love with the law. And really, when he was nine years old, he'd spread the newspapers out on the living room floor and uh, reading about the Teapot Dome scandal back in the, in the early 20s. And uh, <clears throat> my mom asked him one day, uh, Sunday morning, he's looking at the papers, and uh, she says, what are you doing, Richard? Um, Mom, when I grow up, I want to become an honest lawyer. So that's where he got his start, was studying and reading and thinking. Even at that young age, he knew 
his his mission was the law. And realizing with my father's input, which was more North Appalachian common common sense, uh, read the Constitution and realize that we have a republic, and the republic is a nation where the people abide by the law. We are led by the law. Well, what's the difference between that and a, and a, and a democracy? He says, well, the difference is, of course, <clears throat> we we can uh, we can elect our officials who make the laws, but then the executive is the one who must execute them and carry them out and enforce the laws. So that combination and that early understanding of what made America great, the greatest country, nobody's duplicated, mostly because of that constitution, well thought out. And one of the things my father always really emphasized more than any other, he says, you must realize that those words in the, even the preamble of the Constitution are, are sacred. When, when it says in there in the preamble <clears throat> to provide for the common defense and to promote the general welfare, don't get the verbs reversed. <laughs> and that had a meaning that didn't catch on right away, but I began to understand it. We can certainly see it today. After this short break, Ed Nixon explains how Richard Nixon's Quaker upbringing informed his presidency. There are now two new ways to listen to Now I've Heard Everything. Full episodes are now on YouTube. Just search for Now I've Heard Everything. And if you're on TikTok, watch for the promos we post about new episodes. Tap the link at the bottom of the video to hear the full episode. back to my 2009 conversation with Ed Nixon. Well, and also I gather from reading your book that there is a, a strong Quaker ethic that also informed what he did with his life. Yes, um, for Quakers, uh, when you get into uh, wartime situations, there's always the question, what shall I do? I want to be loyal. I want to serve. And uh, some will opt to go on in and take arms, and others will opt to go into what we now call conscientious objectors, and they drive ambulances, provide services, they do their bit, but they decide that they will, they cannot uh, carry weapons of destruction. <clears throat> on the other hand, <clears throat> when my brother uh, went into the Navy after World War II, that was uh, during... Um, what was it? December 7th, 1941. I was 11 years old. And, um, very soon after Dick was in, um, the Navy, he, a direct commission as a lieutenant JG and, uh, served in the South Pacific 13 months in Bougainville and Green Island in the Solomons. Coming back from that, um, there were many things that, um, we had to iron out and discuss, but he was far more pensive before that room, before December 7th, he was more open with his uh, discussions. After that, he was far more pensive and contemplative and uh, always was a questioning, uh, not an answerer, but one who asked questions and then listen before you talk. Quick answers seldom get us the right answer. You do talk about uh, the, the the many things that you've remembered in for the writing of this book, not just specific dates and times and what you did on this date, but but general feelings and general things that you remember that maybe you hadn't consciously tried to remember in a long time. I think the best 
the best way to to really uh, summarize what I see in the book, we brought it out on President's Day in uh, um, February 16th at the Nixon Library in Yorba Linda, California. Had a full house in the East Room, which is the replica of the White House East Room, and they sold out all the books that they had taken, so that was a good sign, and it's still going. Uh, I didn't, it's self-published in a sense, in that I found my publisher, but I put up all the money and um, and um, don't expect to get it back. What I really want to see is that it's picked up by a few and preserved as a unique story that only one could tell. Now, this is not a political book, although you discuss certainly, certainly the political events uh, in his life. But I did want to ask you, I mean, as we said at the outset, so much has been written about your brother, both accurate and inaccurate, personal life, political life. Will, is history beginning to swing toward treating him more fairly, do you think? Oh, I'm sure it has. I'm, I'm totally aware of that now because the reception of the book is, um, is favorable. The only people who really can't, uh, or never do try to read it even are those who have a built-in dislike, cannot be reversed, perhaps because of the Algae Hiss case way back when, or whatever. Point is, <clears throat> His um, his life was dedicated to America that he loved, that his father and his grandparents and all of us grew up with appreciating the greatness and how we became great. Not by reducing everybody to the least common denominator by just redistributing wealth, but by encouraging wealth in everyone and helping everyone to achieve. Um, I think President Clinton's eulogy at the at the funeral was probably most um, was best accepted by everyone in the family, and um, he points to the fact that humans, uh, in particular Richard Nixon, need to be judged by his whole life. What did he do? What did he leave us? And he was avant-garde in many things: environmental protection, uh, eliminate the draft, uh, you know, things like that. And I think we quote, we try to bring up some of the books that he's written. He wrote 10 books, um, the last one of which was not in print until uh, until the uh, after the funeral. Um, but we've brought up quotes from it and uh, lifted many, many thoughts that he wanted us all to understand. Keep America strong. Never give up. Do you think President Nixon was a liberal? President Nixon was a was a poker player. He would challenge those who uh, had very liberal ideas and um, decide to test them because he felt he had the power to reverse some things if they made the wrong track. For example, he uh, appreciated John Connolly very much. He enjoyed his his company, and um, I'm sure they traded a lot of barbs and mixed ideas. But the idea of of floating the dollar and getting us off the gold standard was not necessarily his, but the one that was his was um, uh, wage and price controls, which was anathema to our to our family. But on the other side of it, um, <clears throat> uh, he knew that it probably knew it wouldn't work, but uh, he decided to go ahead and do it, and of course it was withdrawn. Does not work. Proved it. So. Play the game and call the cards when the time is right. A lot of that happened. And, and even with the, the 
national health care ideas. He proposed those at a time when the Congress, which was not in his party, decided not to give him credit for that. And um, perhaps he was gambling again. I don't know. Well, if he was gambling, he was a heck of a good bluffer. <laughs> he won a lot of poker games. Ed Nixon died in 2019. He was 88. Now, you can get a copy of The Nixons, a family portrait by Ed Nixon, by clicking on the link in our show notes or by going to our website, heardeverything.com. We may earn an Amazon commission if you make a purchase. Heardeverything.com is where you'll also hear my 1986 interview with presidential daughter Julie Nixon Eisenhower. I've had so many people who have come up to me and said, I really didn't like your father very much, but your mother, what a lady. And my 2004 interview with the man who Nixon defeated for the presidency in 1972, George McGovern. Liberalism to me means a faith that the federal government should take constructive, positive steps to advance the interests of the ordinary rank-and-file American. And, of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, including now YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, she was the former First Lady. And after leaving the White House, she took up a number of volunteer causes, including speaking out for America's caregivers, the people who take care of the elderly and the sick. My 1994 conversation with former First Lady... Rosalind Carter. They feel guilty. All caregivers feel guilty. If they're with them all the time, they feel like they might not be doing the best thing to help them. Or they get angry with the one they're caring for and frustrated and resented. And then they feel guilty about that. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. 